Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Ordinary People, Extraordinary Stories. I'm your host, Tristan, and today we're talking all about respect. Now, I know Aretha Franklin did a good job in covering the subject, but when can you think of the last time you were at a job where your boss or colleagues really respected you? We all know the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated, but today my guest, Dr. Julie Pham, challenges that rule with a rule of her own. She's the author of the book, Seven Forms of Respect, a guide to transforming your communication or relationships at work. And today, we get into the tools and forms you can use to get the best input out of your job and colleagues. Not only this, but we also get a bit into her background, a child of Vietnamese immigrants and her challenges and successes growing up with that background. So, if you're ready, sit back, relax, but not too much, because we've got a whole lot of studying to do on another ordinary person with an extraordinary story. It, and also, I can edit this too. It does record video, but um, yeah, strictly this will be um, audio. audio only. Eventually I want to get there. Other episodes I may post video if you exclusively like, bro, I, I did not look, no video, just, you want to just, we just established that, no video for no, this, no absolutely? Video. No video, yeah. You got it, okay, got on record. All right, well, I, uh, where, um, where are you calling from? What time zone are you in? Uh, I'm Pacific. I'm in Seattle right now. Hey, what's, oh, you're above me? I'm in uh, Oregon. Oh, okay, yeah. Hi, hey, neighbor, how's it going? I, um, so Pacific how's the weather up there? It's hot. Like, it's gross, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, you but it's got... dry. That's the only saving <laughs> grace. I haven't really lived on the East Coast. I know humidity is a big thing there, but uh, I just, I'm kind of over the heat, man. I want to I, I want to go overcast again. I want to rain forever. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. How, as far as like today goes, are you doing anything fun? Anything fun for the weekend yeah, at all? Yeah, no, after this, I'm going to go to my friend's barbecue. I slept in today. I had some friends over last night, so we had a really good time. And so I got to really sleep in last night or sleep in this morning. So that okay. was really good. How about I, you? I, uh, I, um, I did an episode before this. I got mm -hmm. up early, got some coffee. So far, life's going pretty good. I, mm -hmm. me and my wife are talking because uh, I don't know if you know, but, um, this weekend, Oppenheimer and oh, yeah. the Barbie movie came out, mm -hmm. and we want to see the other movie, and we're thinking about when we just pull the trigger and see both. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but uh, that's a fun question. What um, if you could choose, or what would you think you'd rather watch? I'm definitely seeing Oppenheimer. I'm going to go tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. See, and then get the Barbie cleanser. Just like, you know, <laughs> just like it goes into all those deep existentialism of just making atomic bomb, and then... Barbie! I think Woo! that there's some things that we got to see big screen and others are fine later on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey everybody, thanks again for uh, stopping by. My name is uh, Tristan and this is another episode of Ordinary People Extraordinary Stories. Uh, I'm actually talking with my uh, good friend uh, who I've just met, Dr. Uh, Julie. Can I say Dr. Yeah, Julie yeah. Fan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Never had a doctor on the show, so this is a first time for me. So I'm very like, yeah, that's right. Got a PhD. But, but, uh, yeah, no, uh, so what drew her story to me, well, I thought, okay, I have to have her on here as a guest, though, is that she writes books, but of course she brought up about a book tour, 
And I mean, I got to tell you guys, every time I talk to somebody, though, it's like everyone's always saying like the best part of their story or they're like, man, it went great or all the stuff happened, though. And she didn't do that. She started with like, oh, my gosh, I did my book tour and it sucked. And I, I just it was just so like because that has, stuff happens like people don't usually have good things. Bad dates exist. Bad experiences happen. And, and hey, Julie, between you and me, man, I could relate to self-promotion is garbage because it's like you're like hey please buy or listen to my thing it's the hardest part it's so hard but you also don't want to be too annoying to where you're mm -hmm. like eh, and then you scare them off so i uh just excited to share your story and as far as like your book which um looking up the title again once more it was the uh seven seven forms of respect uh seven forms of respect seven forms of respect i um mm -hmm. Actually, you want to kind of just go in a brief description on what that book's about? Yeah. So some forms of respect. It's, uh, Tristan, are you familiar with the five love languages? I am actually, though. I uh, The physical touch, uh, words of affirmation, yeah. acts of service. Yeah. So and then, so we have some forms of respect. They don't they don't really overlap. They have, I have my own framework. That The reason why I bring that up, though, is it's an easy way for those of you who are familiar with that Got to understand there are different forms. It's not about, because sometimes people hear the title, some forms of respect, and they think, oh, I have to do all seven to be respectful. Mm. You know, they think it's like seven habits of highly effective people. And so I'm like, no, it's actually about understanding that there we can agree on what respect feels like. What we disagree about is what respect looks like. Mm. And so, you know, we can go back and forth and say like, hey, Tristan, I need you to respect me. And you can say, hey, Julie, I am respecting you. And we go back and forth and I'm not feeling respected. And you think that you're respecting me. And what we're not getting to is, well, actually, maybe respect looks differently for, for you and me. Exactly. And it's a previous episode, though. It's like we may have similar stories, but there's different shades of it, though, too. And like I said, what, what could be respect to me is disrespect for you, though. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very interesting. It's um, and just like the love languages. I mean, people can have somewhat overlapping, but sometimes they're very different. It's like, OK, I would prefer you didn't do that for me. That's not my love language. Though. Yeah, yeah. And then, and also even like with respect, because respect and love are different because you can love someone and not respect them and you can mm. respect them and not love them. Interesting. And also because this book, <clears throat> excuse me, this book I started, the research is based on examples in the workplace and, and just that respect is dynamic. And part of that is because power exists in the workplace. Well, power exists everywhere, right? Like power dynamics, hierarchy, our expectations around respect can actually differ depending on who we're interacting with. Right. Mm -hmm. So how did this even form? Like, how did you even create this? There's the, there was the aha moment, like, oh, I want to write this book. I want to start doing research on this. And then after, and then as I went in, I was like, oh, actually, there's so many different experiences that informed this, that I, I realized like that it's related to, to creating this. So my aha moment was I was in, I was uh, on a leadership panel and someone in the audience said hey I really want to build trust with my coworker, and I'm doing all these things but he's just not we're not able to do it and I don't know what to do and I said well maybe what you're doing is sharing your whole life story and what he really needs is for you to be on time uh... <laughs> and you know and you just have different expectations and then that was my aha moment and then it like helped me seeing that it was like oh help me understand so many examples of when we uh, when I would see conflict be, uh, arise, because then I went back and I realized, because I've done a, a lot of uh, community building, a lot of community organizing and bringing together people from different backgrounds to collaborate. 
and they would just have different expectations of how they want to be treated and friction would emerge yeah and people just there but there wasn't really a language to talk about it it was just respect right like i want to be treated better it's like well what does that mean exactly they say that word but it means again a trillion things for different people right and so then i so so then i started doing research on it and asking people well, how do you want to be treated and then they kept bringing up the word respect and so that's when i narrowed in on respect it's like oh and and what does respect mean to you and then people would have different different ways to describe it um and actually there was a lot of people talk about the golden rule which i i had to research that but that's um treat others how you want to be treated right yes right yeah so think about that it's just like that doesn't always work because maybe they don't want to be treated the way you want to be treated i i get it i do get it though i'm just also like Oh, kinky! Oh, this is so <laughs> right. Like, oh. right. Some people don't want to be treated, you know. Like so, for me, it's just like I only want to be told once mm. to do something, and then I will go do it. I get really annoyed if people remind me. It's like I heard you the first time. But other people are like, "No, I need reminders. Keep reminding me. I need to write." And it's just like, "Oh, that feels to me like nagging." But other people are like, "No, because I'm going to forget." So it's a reassurance. Yeah. So but, it's. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because it really sounds like this book was really like the writing on the walls. So it's always been there. It's always like, again, mm -hmm. it was like an unsolved problem. They didn't even know it was there until, you, like you said, you had the aha moment where it's like, wow, there's legitimately this lack of communication. There's this element missing where you were able to just be like, okay, I now, maybe not so quickly, but summed up like, hey, these are how we can kind of help bridge the gap or understand, hey, I'm this type of respect language on that type of respect language yeah and, and also to be really clear because it, it's like not about types it's like and this is actually where the, i'd say the difference between there's a difference between five love languages and seven forms of respect because some mm -hmm. forms of respect is much more dynamic because in five love languages it's like oh i like this or i like that right and then with seven forms of respect we actually take into account the different relationships interesting so maybe i have my certain priorities like you know baseline like i generally like this but my expectations will change depending on if i'm interacting with my boss versus someone who reports to me Interesting. I'm interacting with a vendor versus some a client, right? And like, so maybe I'm okay with the client, um, with the I'm okay with the a client being late, but I'm not okay with a vendor being late. That's just reality, right? Like whether and so part of this is to articulate that to help articulate that because otherwise sometimes you might be like, oh, you're a hypocrite, or or I'm being contradictory. And in fact, what's happening is it depends on the situation. And it's, and so the seven forms of respect is a way to analyze that and to name the dynamics that are at play. And so, cause you know, I mentioned that there's hierarchy and then there's two other dimensions that makes it dynamic. One is what I call give versus get. So the way we like to give respect can be different from the way we like to get respect. So I'll give you an example. Opposite of the golden rule kind of thing. Yeah. So, well, and so, but here it's like, maybe Tristan, you like to surprise people, but you don't like to be surprised. Okay. Right. Right. Maybe, yeah. maybe you like to, maybe, maybe you, you like to give people unsolicited constructive feedback, but you don't like to get it yourself. <laughs> right. So, you know, and, and that can also depend on the hierarchy part. And then the last thing is just like, also just being honest with ourselves and, and really reflecting on ourselves, like asking the question of what matters to me. Right. What actually matters to me versus what should matter to me? Because so many people think about what I should do or what I should expect, what have I been socialized to expect? And yet what we don't do is say, what matters to me so much? I will do it no matter what, even if I know it doesn't matter to the other person. No, exactly. Because it's about me. 
Yeah, and it also again it, it's a, it gives that honest look where you're like, okay, again, where am I at? What's important? Mm -hmm. And it breaks the whole cookie cutter mold of again, it's like maybe you don't fit that. Maybe that's not yours. Yeah, and it's and it's like not like because a lot of people are like, oh, do I tell people my respect styles? And it's like, well, no, actually, you tell people your the stories of why it matters because I mean, going back to what you said, I think earlier about. Um, we can have different shades of things. And so I think of that as we can have different reasons for why. We can have the same what. You know, you and I can both value, so for example, acknowledgement, but maybe we have really different stories around that. Exactly. And so it's actually about ask, pushing us to ask ourselves why. And so in any case, yeah, I think I had this this book in me and I didn't know it. And I think a lot of people have books or stories in them and we just don't, and there's something that will spark that like oh this is how i want to articulate it right which i funny and like the last two episodes i've recorded are all about again storytelling how again there's always a story inside of mm -hmm. us though and it's just like it's let's talk about the book so i mean you mind if i just what are the seven ways of respect let's just yeah seven forms it. of respect yeah seven forms of respect so the uh we use this acronym called pika p-p-i-c-c-a-a -A. <laughs> it I'm helps Okay. P-P-I-C-C-A-A, -A, and it stands for Procedure, Punctuality, Information, Candor, Consideration, Acknowledgement, and Attention. Okay, Pika. So, um, and so for each of these, you may say, I prioritize that or I don't prioritize that. And so, um, so procedure is about following established rules, norms, roles, and responsibilities. Like, for example, hey, Tristan, I sent you this prep email and I will feel upset if you didn't read it right versus other people like oh yeah you're busy but you know just fyi i just sent yeah. it to you right next one is punctuality and that's about time constraints honoring time constraints and so that is so for example hey the meeting's gonna end in five minutes i'm gonna tell you that now some people might be like you're rushing me <laughs> right so it's not just always about being on time it's about the time constraints okay and then the third one information that is about giving people access to data and to knowledge uh this is like the fyi and this is i i was very intentional about not calling this transparency okay and the reason why is because people think transparency is good right and we didn't want to have any value associated with any of these like oh lack of transparency is bad transparency is good it's like no either you you may prioritize information or you don't prioritize information it's not about good or bad exactly no and so that's what we tried to do with naming all of these and so information is you know like um i'm going to cc you on this email even though you have nothing like you don't really need to be on this email and some people really want to be cc'd on all emails and other people are like Mm, unless I have an action, please don't fill out my inbox. Exactly. <laughs> right? Well, also kind of goes into like the whole like, I mean, especially with that's good and bad, it's like the, the oversharing thing. It's mm -hmm. like some people's like, no, I want to tell you where I'm at, where, where I'm going on with mm -hmm. this. I want to relate. But it's like, like you said, I just want you on time. I'm sorry yeah. that all this stuff is <laughs> exactly. happening, but can you just like figure it out and not make it my problem? Exactly. The other candor. So candor is about giving feedback, whether it's unsolicited or solicited, it's asked by asking, um, asking challenging questions, devil's advocate. A lot of people say, what's the difference between information and candor? What is that? Candor is giving information with a, with an intention for something to change. Mm. Whereas information is like, Hey, this is just you, you do with it, what you do with it. Right. I'm just telling you, but candor is like, Hey, like I'm giving this to you with this hope that you will change something. Use it let it reflect just something where you'll take it yeah. instead of just like yeah so that's candor 
Yeah. And for some people, this is really rude. Like, I didn't ask you, why are you telling me? Right. And others are like, why are you holding this information? Why don't you just tell me? Right. I want to hear it. And so, and I remember so very clearly one of these, there was an engineer and a union organizer and the engineer asked these deep probing questions and the union organizer is like, why are you asking me all these questions? I got this. Why are you, you don't trust me. But he probably wanted to know. He's like, he's like, no, I generally want to know your answers on this. That's why I asked. So yeah. And so consideration now consideration is the, is the trickiest out of all of them. Cause first of all, you hear the word considerations, like that's a good thing. Right. And so consideration is interacting with someone based on what you think that person wants and needs. Mm, yeah. So this is the surprise part, right? It's like, oh, I think Tristan would really like this. So I'm going to do it. I'm not going to ask you, Tristan. I'm just going to do it because, you know, and so for people who care about this, it's the thought that counts. It's actually not about the outcome. It's like that you took the time. I could tell you took the time to think about it. Now, the thing that makes this tricky is sometimes people are like the whatever that person guessed has to be right for it to feel considerate. Right. <laughs> you know, like, for example, maybe I got you what I thought you would like to eat. And you're like, like, I don't like this food. That was so not considerate. I wish you just asked me. Right. I would have told you instead of just say, hey, make an educated guess. Right. I but other people are like, if you truly care about this one, it truly is about the thought that counts and think about how this works. I'll give you an example in the workplace, actually. So imagine someone leaves for, comes back from family leave and they're exhausted and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm tired all the time, tired all the time. And their boss is like, really want to put them on this assignment, but they're really tired and they're being very vocal about it. So I don't know if I should put them on this assignment or not. Right. Overload them with work. Just yeah. make it easy. So they, they put them on the assignment or they're like, hey, do you want to do this assignment? And so one person who's like, oh gosh, that was, um, I don't care about consideration. It's like, oh, I can't believe you. Um, I can't believe you asked me, right? I can't believe you asked me. I'm exhausted. Clearly you didn't hear that. Another person could say like, oh, well, thank you for asking me. And um, even though I'm not going to do it. Right. Right. And so, and so it's kind of, and then, um, so that's the trickiest one because sometimes we, we think, oh, well, if they got it wrong, then they're not considerate. Exactly. And it's, and there's so many different people, again, that want different things. It's just like, mm -hmm. it's trying to find that balance of, you know, what to be concerted for. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and also this one is, cause actually with the seven forms of respect, it can differ. I mean, so the, this book right now is about the workplace. I will do one about our personal lives because it can differ. Like the more, the seven forms that the forms that I prioritize at home are different from the ones that I prioritize at work. I think that's so interesting just because it's, it's that very same thing though. It's like they may have different things that overlap, but exactly same thing. This is how mm -hmm. I'm in my professional setting is how I want you to treat me as a person when I'm not mm -hmm. on the clock. Yeah, yeah, right. And because like at work, I'm like, oh, I don't prioritize consideration. I'm just going to ask you and I want you to just ask me, right? But at, but like with my relationships with other people, like I like I, I, I like to try to, I you know, sometimes it's like, oh, maybe I'll try to surprise them or like, you know, whatever. So it's, I'll show more consideration. And, um, and then there is acknowledgement. So this is words of um, gratitude and praise. And, um, and so for some people, this can feel superficial. Yeah. Right. Like, ugh, don't tell me I'm, you're telling everyone they're awesome. <laughs> right. Like, and it feels superficial, but others like need that. And, you know, this one, I, I mentioned how the asking the question of what matters to you can be really hard because it forces us to be really open 
with ourselves. And so this one was actually, for me personally, hard to admit that was important to me for quite a while because it felt cringy. I like that. It's which I get it because I mean it's like oh yeah I need that validation but I mean it it that takes strength to say no hey I I that's fuel that's fuel for me I feel better yeah yeah like I need that right <laughs> like I'll be like did they get it like why didn't they say thank you I know it's like it's like don't give me a pizza party validate me tell me <laughs> <laughs> right right but it's can and so this is why it's like it can feel really hard to acknowledge to admit those things too. Um, and then, and then the last one being uh, attention. So this is about listening carefully, not interrupting, not multitasking. This one is really challenged by the pandemic because it's so much easier to multitask. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Right. And so this is why it's, it's also, it depends on the situation. And that's why I try to get people away from thinking about this is good or bad. It's just like, let's look at the situation and let's talk about what are the forms of respect that we're going to prioritize in this situation and so that's why you know when you said it's a type it's like it's actually i don't think of it as a type because it's so fluid so it's not like myers-briggs or disc or enneagram it's not like you're this and i'm this it's more of in this situation i'm going to name what i think is important which for some people actually it can be really hard because it's like i've gotten also the feedback like this is way too fluid i need a little more i need more rules Right. And so, and like, and I think we provide the framework, but they're not, but we don't think of it as like hard and fast rules because things are fluid. And so for those people who are just like, no, I need to know what to do. Black or white. Do I do this, this? Yeah. It, yeah. It's like, this book is not for you. This is not for you. Right. This is not mismanners. This is not an etiquette book. This is not like, this is the code here is actually to have a conversation. That's the thing you should consistently do is practice curiosity and know that things change and to try to understand it and understand yourself. I think you hit it though. It's 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 the change thing. It's like we're not robots. It, it things are seldomly black or white. A lot of times they're gray. And the thing is, sometimes that changes. I'm used to maybe hate surprises, but now I really appreciate surprises though. And mm -hmm. you have this framework where again, it's people change, things may change, but it's like these are still relevant. There are still mm -hmm. things to come back to, and it applies not so much as like I am just this type. It's like mm -hmm. okay, I like these things and these situations sometime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to even ask ourselves, like, like, why am I feeling moody today? Why am I like irritated? <laughs> right. Because like oftentimes people are like, oh, they were so disrespectful. And what we don't ask is why am I feeling this way? How do I want respect? Why am I feeling this way right now? There's a previous episode I did where uh, it was this woman named Chris, lovely woman stage five metastatic breast cancer that unfortunate diagnosis comes with an end date she's six months uh still fighting it like they said you only had this much time to live she's now six months past that date so praying for her that she's kicking butt and taking names with that said she said oh my god why did i just space out oh my god i'm so sorry <laughs> i'm so sorry julie what were we just talking i heard about? that episode so i'm trying to it was a good episode uh, this is it's so embarrassing we were talking about change. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Why does that bother you? Mm -hmm. I got it. She mentioned that something triggering somebody and then being upset at that person. It's like, you're not upset at that person. You're upset at that thing that the person's doing because there's something unresolved in you that reminds you that like there's something in that situation that reminds you of that you may do or you're bothered by that. So why don't you reflect on and see why that's triggering you, though? your book or at least the situation is making you think outside the box so taking it back to okay 
how is this affecting me? But in a way where it's not, again, so A and B, it's like, hey, maybe I'm A, B, and C sometime. Yeah, and it's also, it's like, I'm I'm upset because actually what part of it is like, I'm upset because I don't know how to explain this, but I don't, I can't even. I like that. That's great. So what happens is, I mean, it's just like, oh, you know, people get outraged by questions. It's like, I can't believe you asked that question. Or I can't believe you said that thing. But it's just like, but we can't even explain why we're outraged. And so, and so sometimes it's because I don't know how to answer that. So I'm just upset that you asked it. <laughs> so, so we're focused on Can't the, win. we're upset that it's been asked versus like, and, and the reality is maybe we don't know how to answer it. But the cool thing is that you still ask the question to get that started or to start that process. I think in going back to your book, some people, times you just don't do that to people. They're just not mm -hmm. a fan of it though. It's, mm -hmm. it's Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I think of all of this is this practice in curiosity and that's what all of my work is around. So some forms of respect is just part of that. And, um, and one of the things that research shows is people, a lot of people are afraid of asking questions and it becomes, and so when we see people at work, it's just like they asked a question and other people are snickering, like that was a dumb question. Or, I can't believe they didn't know that. And then what that does is other people see that and like, I better not ask a question. And then, and then they just go on where it's like, again, there's this position where it's like, they just can in the dark, not know. It's like, I'd rather be ignorant and be quiet about it than to profess my ignorance and maybe yeah. learn something or grow from that thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is a good kind of segue into a question I always wanted to have because I, it, it was the uh, question number 20 about the whole like current job market kind of thing. Cause it, mm -hmm. it was, I was finding it difficult to even like word what the real question was but i mean just in today's society where people are like leaving jobs like like it's people are i guess maybe finding their self-worth to be like you know what i don't need this or i need to focus on my mental health or we're, we're getting past the whole like just just work nose to the grindstone i want to mm -hmm. we're now looking toward ourselves like i want to be better i want a job that appreciates me that will take mm -hmm. care of mental health days that will re respect me your book seems perfect in a situation where people are having a hard time keeping workers. That mm -hmm. seems like it'd be really helpful, but I mean, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on the current situation? So I think part of the problem that we're seeing now is that a lot of employers, I mean, so we talk a lot about how do we create this good positive culture? And so sometimes that gets mistaken with, we try to please everyone. Okay. Oh, we're going to make everyone happy here. And it's like, okay, well, maybe what we actually need first is to articulate what are the what is the culture here? What are the what are the expectations? How do we behave and why? And how does that support our shared work, right? So yeah. versus, because a lot of times what happens is it's the culture comes out of the leader's personal preferences, which is which is totally understandable, right? Right. I mean, I, you know, as the, as the CEO of my own company with a small team, definitely my personal preferences have a, have influence a lot. Of, of the culture. And at the same time, there are some, sometimes it's just, well, but then there's the nature of our work. And, and so for example, for me, information is not something I prioritize and yet something I do at work with the team, because it's like, it's important to our work. And so sometimes we actually have to flex. And so, but going back to you know, this question, I think that there's a lot of uh, confusion about mm -hmm. what to do. And there's a lot of fear, even from leaders, there's a lot of fear of how to of how to lead. And, um, and so there's just, oh, how do we make it? How do we create these happier cultures? And actually, I think it's, how do we 
define our culture so that people who are a good fit for it, like, and they will thrive in this will, and, you know, also accepting that wanting people who have different perspectives and approaches and things, but like generally are like, oh yeah, I like, I can do this. I like this versus like trying to make it good for everyone. And then, so I'm going to, so, you know, I mentioned the golden rule before. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the rubber band rule. So I have what I call the rubber band rule. Okay. And so here, here, you know, you see a rubber band, right? And it's, and with a rubber band rule, it's, we're actually capable of stretching. Every person is capable of stretching. So maybe Tristan, I know you like this and so I'll do it, even though I don't really care about it, but I'll stretch. And we think about this in a workplace setting. It's just like, okay, at work, they kind of like to give lots of compliments and I'm not really into it, but I'm like, I can do it. Right. But maybe people also multitask all the time. And that really bothers me. Mm. Every day, I'm just feeling super disrespected all the time, even though I know, I know they don't mean it. And I know this is just like a high performing, they think of this as high performing, we got to multitask, but it's really bothering me. And over time, what can happen is just like, but I have to accept it. And, and, you know, we kind of stretch and we stretch and we stretch. And And then we snap. Right. And so part of the, part of the rubber band rule is actually knowing what's going to make me break. Mm-hmm. what is going to make me break? What are my snapping points? Because I can't expect every, like my workplace to be this perfect, like embracing everything that I want. And so it's impossible. just, it's- yeah, because the thing is like, just because people didn't, just because you didn't get what you want, doesn't mean you weren't heard. It means a lot of people have different views. And so sometimes I think leaders can be like, oh, well, I want to make this person happy and this person happy. And he'll, no, you just need to make sure people understand they're heard. And this is the reason why we made the decisions we made. Right. Exactly. And, and there's clarity around that so that then that person can go like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to snap here. They're good people. It's just like, it's just not, it's not how I want to have my inter- everyday interactions. Exactly. And so instead of saying like, oh, that was a really toxic, horrible workplace. And so also, Tristan, I want to be clear. There's also like just workplaces where they do a lot of illegal activity and bullying and harassment. That's, I'm not talking about that. (laughs) I'm talking about, oh, they multitask a lot and I really don't like that, right? And I just can't do that. I can't, I need to feel more connection, listening, slowing down. And, and that's real. And so you can't expect like, just because you don't like it and then, but everyone else thinks like, oh, this is actually what's needed for, for us to do our work that they should change for you. Right. And at the same time, you have to be able to take responsibility for your own, for your own um, uh, uh, career and go like, oh, you know, I'm really unhappy in this, but now I know I need a place that doesn't multitask all the time <laughs> so so that's the secret then is is the really is that kind of self-reflection of like yeah. you said the breaking points but because that's 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 a kind of a hard balancing act to find oh out, yeah like, because it requires both exactly. it requires the employers and team leaders to be able to articulate that and it requires the individual to know what they want <laughs> Exactly. And to then to be able to, because both, you know, when we're doing interviews, it's like, oh, we're fast paced, we're innovative. And you get attracted to like, whatever that product is. And like, oh, I love that product. I associate myself with that product, but maybe you don't actually really like the way that they go about creating that product. And a large part of the problem is they, the leaders can't even articulate it themselves. Right. Right. So they just say, yeah, we're like this and this, but they don't say like, yeah, and multitasking is fine. And we are going to like blow up your inbox with email. And that's 
that's great, right? Because I've been, the first time I worked at a big company, if I had the seven forms of respect, I would describe it as a lot of candor, a lot of information, a lot of acknowledgement, very little attention, very little punctuality. Did you eventually snap at that company? I did. I did. So part of this, I think, is we have to get more clear on what's important to us, right? Like what are the things we're going to prioritize? And Kristen, I've been saying priority, prioritize. And that's because a lot of people talk about values mm. and I think of priorities because like the thing with values is like, it's always going to be the same, right? Like we always, this is the thing that is like the, the ultimate thing that we always care about. Right. And priorities takes into account. No, actually situations change. So what am I going to prioritize in this situation? Right. So I'll give you an example. There's a lot of conversation around pay transparency. As far as like everyone getting paid properly across the board. Salary, knowing everyone. So I can ask this question of, hey, do you think that men and women should get equal pay for equal work? Everyone's like, yes. And then I say, do you think that we should post everyone's salary? And some people say no. And some people say yes. And so then I can, then I'll, I like to ask, well, see, raise your hand if you value transparency. Raise your hand if you value privacy. Yes. See how they can come and clash with each other. Interesting. And so, and the thing is, I have to then go like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I do value privacy. I do value transparency. And yet in this situation, it's clashing. So how do I then explain what my priorities are? So I guess it really kind of goes back to, it's like, okay, how do people keep their workers? It really kind of comes down to it's that there should be introspection as far as what the person wants. The company shouldn't be afraid to ask questions about maybe what the people need. More importantly, it just kind of comes down to like, you have to find where you're going to prosper and grow. Granted, you can grow, you can be stronger. There should be some type of flexibility, but not to the point where you're neglecting yourself, trying to make, what is that, a, a square hole in a round peg? Or I mean, yeah. That, that, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we, and both, when I, I, I like to ask the in survey when I'm doing workshops, what causes misalignment around, um, a shared definition of respect here. And so, and I have all of these different factors and I ask people to check. And what comes up often what, among the top ranked are cultural differences, generational differences, and lack of clarity from leadership. I want to bring it back to the priorities versus mm -hmm. the uh, values. Mm -hmm. I also feel like it's, um, especially because like, at least with a lot of businesses, everyone's like, here are our values. This is what we believe as a company though. Mm -hmm. It almost kind of sounds like it's this blanketed term of just like, again, these are our ideals, but it's like it, it, values feel like it's just words. Like granted, mm -hmm. everyone can like that stuff, but with priorities, it feels like there's action behind it. Here's like, here's how we're going to deal with these things. Or like you said, situation changes where they say, this is what we have to do in this current situation. And I feel like companies need to do that. Because again, mm -hmm. anyone can have value. Like, yeah, we value diversity. We value equal pay and that kind of stuff. Though. But it's like, where's the action behind it of these things actually taking place? Yeah, because priorities is actually about how are we going to operationalize that, right? And because like values, oftentimes, you know, values can actually be code for um, being judgy. So I could say, Tristan, you and I just have different values. Ooh, ew. And you know what that means? My values are better than yours. Oh, no. <laughs> That's what I'm really telling you when I say that, right? You're mean, Julie. <laughs> you and I have different values. Whereas we can say like, we have different priorities, right? Like maybe, and then we can go into like, yeah, because I'm not going to go on this kind of vacation because of this, this, and this, right? Well, what are your, what's, what are, what factors are impacting your priorities? And so it creates this conversation versus values. 
it's always this. And, um, and I, you know, I'm not a fan of vision statements. Sometimes I feel like they can be these culture statements. Sometimes I feel that there's a lot of wordsmithing in it. And like, really what we need to get down to is like, how do people, what, what is acceptable behavior here and why? Because a lot of times people just say, you know, one of the questions I get asked a lot is like, well, I don't understand why punctuality is on your list because that is just, that's just just gold standard. You should just do it. That's that's the norm. You should just have that. And it's like, no, actually you really have to stress test. Is it important or not? Because once I actually start working with teams and we, and I, I push them on, Hey, what are the top ranked ones? What are the ones that if you, you have, you're prioritizing punctuality tends to be low because it's like, okay, actually, you know what? We're going to prioritize candor. We're going to prioritize information. We're going to prioritize procedure. Because in the grand scheme of the things I'm going to get upset about, <laughs> if we don't do it yeah. and the effort that we have to do, because all of these actually take work. They take work to keep each other accountable and to do it, keep ourselves accountable. Exactly. So we can't, it's exhausting. This is why I'm like, it's not about getting all seven forms. It's about figuring out what are the ones I'm going to put my effort and time and energy into and, and so then that's when it's like, oh, I guess like if I had to choose, I'd rather have candor than punctuality. I'd rather have us be, be that we're, we put the effort on there. And that's if, that's if it doesn't affect the nature of the work, right? right. But in a case where it's like, um, no, this is a absolute assembly line. And when you aren't getting your thing done at the time, then it affects us. That's the issue. Exactly. That's the issue. And then we can say, no, in this case, like punctuality is really important, right? It is, it is important because it affects our, like lives are at stake, right? Like whatever that is, right? Right. Like that's why, or like huge, like people's salaries are at stake because if we don't get this done on time, I can, I mean, I used to work at a newspaper. So my family owns a Vietnamese language newspaper. It's like, Hey, we have a deadline. We have a deadline. Very important because we can just be like, sorry guys, we, uh, our editor, he, he took vacation, things yeah. happen and we're just not going to get paper this week. It's right. Like, what? Right. And that affects the advertisers. It affects the night staff that's working, putting together the newspaper it affects the delivery people. It's like, no, actually punctuality is very important. <laughs> so it's, but I, again, I like that because it's taking away it's, and I love the example you said of the whole, my values are better users or priorities are different because it takes that blanket statement of we're going to treat everybody the same or we're going to do that and be like no let's talk to the person analyze it and maybe see where we can meet them halfway or be maybe meet them so it's like okay i can give you what you need or at least let you know i can't give you what you need and you need to go elsewhere because at least mm-hmm. it, it, it's like a date yeah it's yeah. like it's like hey like are you interested you know well then mm-hmm. leave me alone because i got 12 other suitors behind me that might do that so yeah. yeah and so i think a lot of times people are just what they really what they really want is to understand why is this this lack of clarity from 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 leadership right it's like why are we doing things the way that we do it because if they're if it's not explained then people make up their own reasons yeah oh, because ceo really likes that ceo you know and it's just like well actually there are some other things that are at play and and to be able to and it's not like you have to explain all the things but like enough where it's just because it, again, it's not like information might not be prioritized here, but it's like right. enough where, can you actually explain why we're doing the thing we're doing? So this is a great segue. I um, try not to tell too much people like what I do. I, I don't think I told you where I work or what I do, right? Mm-mm. I work at a call center for the government. It rhymes with pi RS. 
and that is the thing like i i really struggle with because i mean it's just it's so just very procedural just it has to be done this way but the way they do it is so mechanical it and it for lack of a better word it pisses off the taxpayers people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes when you're just like sorry i can't help you and you have to wait 120 days mm -hmm. i go in and i just like you said i give them i don't tell them everything because you don't need to but tell them enough to like hey here's why the situation is what it is mm -hmm. here's what's happening and here's what you're going to do about it and people love it because like thank you for understanding my situation meeting me and telling me just enough so i can understand because like you said if no one's telling them they think we're just having a bunch of their money or just refunds in a desk we're like <laughs> i can't right, get it right, back right. <laughs> no it's because they're drowning in work and yeah. The long line at the bank that you think's only ten people is ten thousand people, and you're mm -hmm. number six thousand. So you gotta wait yeah. a little bit longer. So. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> managing it's, people's expectations. I mean, I, I I can see about getting your book or at least your your system to the government, but I mean, I'll tell you, you mean you want to talk about messy messy system? Wanna... Uh, government is actually one of our big clients. So is it okay? Yeah. I yeah. mean, we'll, maybe we'll do some talking <laughs> or something. You know, there you go. So, I mean, okay, so you even touched on it. You had a lot of jobs. I mean, I would kind of like to know, like, how how did how did this Julie kind of come to be, though? Because, I mm -hmm. mean, like, did you always, like, be this kind of task-driven or problem-solving kind of mentality? I you ever, like, I don't see you as, like, a Nintendo kid or just, like, a, you know, someone who just played games. And like, or How did this person, this doctor come to be? So... What's really important to my identity is actually the fact that I'm a Vietnamese boat person. I came over to the U.S. with my parents when I was two months old. And um, and so that was a really important part of my identity. Vietnamese boat person. Is that the actual term? Yeah. So, I mean, as in we're we're boat people. Yeah, like you got brought on from a boat to come here. Yes. So we escaped Vietnam by a boat. And so there's a whole wave of, so after the Vietnam War ended in 1975, there are many people who are just like, we need to leave because this is, we can't live under a communist regime. And so, and that was, uh, my father had been in a communist uh, re-education camp, really a prison camp for three years oh my God. after the war. And so, uh, and so that, I mean, three years is actually light. There are people he knew who had been there for 10 years. 15 years and so and just the horrors behind that and so after he got out he was like we need to we need to leave and um and so we were the first in our our family our extended family to escape vietnam and uh there's do you know about the year when that happened like when you guys escaped the state uh, so there were there were multiple there were multiple ways yeah it was 1979 okay so about four years after the war at the time i was a two-month-old baby and so, um, and hundreds of thousands of people escaped this way. Many people lost their lives. It was a huge risk. There's a Somali British poet, Warshawn Shire, who writes, no one puts their, no one puts their child on a boat unless the water is safer than the land they're leaving. So that has really informed, really been a really important part of my identity. My parents started the first privately owned Vietnamese language newspaper in the Pacific Northwest in 1986. And so growing up, being a boat person, being a refugee is from, uh, was, uh, was something we're proud of. And so it's interesting, actually, because I think sometimes we're like, can I use the word boat person? I was like, well, if you're using it in a derogatory term in terms of like, oh, they don't know anything or, but like actually among, within the Vietnamese community, it's very common to say, hey, how did you get here? Did you come by boat? Did you leave in 75 by the helicopter? Right. Did you, you know, were you sponsored? 
And, um, and so in any case, that's been, uh, so yes, grew up with a sense of this is we're resilient or creative. My, I think of my parents as the hustlers among hustlers. Um, and that entrepreneurship was always something that I saw. And, right. um, and so, although at the same time, my parents were like, I think a lot of immigrants were just, oh, we got to have uh, stability. And so they were just be a doctor, be a lawyer. And so I thought when I went to undergrad, I thought I would be a lawyer. And then I fell in love with history my first year there really? and history okay. as a discipline. And because I think of history as at the intersection of social science and humanities, social scientists are searching for truth because we believe there's such a thing. No, it's, it's the pattern. We're looking yeah. for the pattern of for people like kind of to bring it back mm -hmm. to your book, making that blueprint or blueprint or roadmap of, Hey, here's what happened in this situation because of these personalities clashing, because of the time of the events, though. And what's that old adage they say about history? Doesn't repeat itself. Well, it repeats it, or those who don't know it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, but, and so, and then there's, and then there's like in humanities, there's, we're always looking for stories because we, we know there's, uh, we believe that there's, we, or we know that there's no such thing as truth and everything is a story. So history sits right at the intersection of looking for truth, knowing there's no such thing as truth. And I think as a discipline that is, it's, it's a, it has that tension more so than any other discipline. And so for, for my work, I'm, it's, I loved looking to hear people's stories and also understand they are just stories. That is that person's truth. There are other people who have different truths and we can, they can coexist. Yeah. Okay. I will, I mean, a little sidebar, as far as like what the history goes, do you have a particular like era or like time of history that you're really fascinated with? So, so uh, when I was, my undergrad was on uh, the South Vietnamese military perspective of the Vietnam War. And that was because in the, a lot of American portrayals, media portrayals, even academia, they don't talk about the South Vietnamese. They talk about, they think of the war as being between Vietnam and the U.S. And Vietnam is the de facto, it's North Vietnamese, it's a communist. Yeah. And so then in that, it's like, well, we're the South Vietnamese. Like what happened to the people that were literally trying to escape the north yeah and and also like and so and so we think like the south vietnamese it's like well americans were our allies this was actually our war and um and so i mean most of the the vietnamese community in the u.s today are actually south vietnamese mm. and so this is and so uh, fighting for democracy escaping communism and and it's always fascinating it's like how is it that we have such a big presence here. We actually think our our we're very influential, actually, considering the size mm -hmm. of our community, and yet people don't really understand our story. And so, and for me, it's not about oh, this is the right story. It's more about this is a story that doesn't get told, and why is that? Because I'm really interested in that. And and then um, and that we can have these multiple truths, these multiple perspectives that coexist. And so, I'm also just generally interested in. Uh, Vietnamese Southeast Asian history because there is so much depends on who is telling the story and so then later on when I was working on my dissertation I actually went to the to the communist side and I did research on a South Vietnamese communist revolutionary who led the 19 uh the the communist revolution in Saigon in 1945 he was born in 19 uh he was born in 1910 and I interviewed him wow. I did 16 interviews with him and he passed away in I think it was like 2000 2000 uh maybe 10 that sounds interesting well sidebar is yeah. anyone would like to check that out that just sounds really cool i wouldn't mind watching her yeah i can i can send it to you so the pdf yes and so and 
in any case, the way that um, Vietnamese history, so much of of what we understand depends on who's telling the story. And I find that really fascinating because it's like, I remember when I lived in Vietnam uh, and I lived on and off in Vietnam uh, as an adult. And mm -hmm. I showed this movie, Journey from the Fall, which is about the Vietnamese boat person experience, boat people experience and the re-education camps. And I was shown this in Hanoi. This was illegal to show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and so Brave. most of the room are Hanoians, are, are Vietnamese. And when I turned on the lights, I remember seeing these shocked looks on people's faces. Because they had like no idea? They had no idea. Because like in 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 Vietnam, re-education camps are these polite places where people go to learn Marxism, Leninism at these desks, right? Like there are these, you, you see these pictures We're like, yes. We're trying to re-educate. We're trying yeah. to help you right. learn, not beat the crap out of you yeah. or torture yeah. you. or Yeah. And, uh, you know, and on the other end... Um, here, like the my family's newspaper, super anti-communist, and I think that's also its own form of propaganda too, because it's actually not Vietnam is doing well. There's actually a lot of changes in Vietnam, and yet, and yet, like for a lot of the Vietnamese community here, it's like, I mean, my parents never went back to Vietnam, and so there's a sense too. of great sense of loss, and part of that, and so to kind of preserve the the reason why we're here is because it was so bad, when actually things have gotten really good there. You know, like there's actually like a lot of economic uh, prosperity in Vietnam now. And so I just share this as like, I'm not saying one is true and one is not. It's more, I'm more fascinated by how we can have such different understandings of the same events of the same experiences. And a lot of that has to do with who's writing it. Exactly. And I think I can even like, again, further just understand, peel back the onion even more too. It's just that there's, like I said, there's no right and wrong. There's stories. It's gray. It's perspective. And I feel like you get closer to that answer of the question as far as like, what is the right answer by knowing all sides, by mm -hmm. knowing the truth, by actually knowing some type of truth, by knowing the other side and seeing the humanity in it. And it just, again, it just gives you more perspective and it might even give you more understanding of yourself. You're like, I never even considered that option that, wow, now you just humanized that thing I hated. And now I'm really confused. Yeah, well, and also what it shows is like when I when I talk about the South Vietnamese perspective of the Vietnam War is I point out that even like in kind of like liberal America where it's just, oh, we shouldn't have been there. It was horrible that we were there. It actually really centers the American perspective yeah. as the savior that lost, right? That failed, right? And it's like, we shouldn't have been there. And it's like, that's still centered on you. And that actually doesn't give agency to the South Vietnamese. And so even in that like well-meaning guiltness, right, it still doesn't. And so that's where, I mean, you know, Tristan, you had mentioned lessons learned, and I actually am not a fan of like trying to learn lessons from history. Mm. And the reason why, or even like, I don't, I, I try not to think about like, what are the problems to solve? I often try to think about what, are, what's this problem teaching us? Because I actually think wars are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. Right. And we hopefully will get a bit better at it. History does keep the but bad things will happen because we're humans. And oftentimes we don't even know it was bad until later on because yeah. we're so in it in the moment. And so it's more of what we can do, though, is what we if we are so focused on how do we prevent something bad from happening, we can actually miss a lot of different stories. It's like I think the Dalai Lama says, it's like when you when you lose, don't lose the lesson. 
Mm -hmm. But the lesson here is more of like that there are lots of different stories in it. So rather than saying like, because I think that there's such a, uh, a mentality of like, how do we prevent, like the lessons learned also means how do we prevent this from happening again? How do we prevent ourselves from learning? We don't want to learn yeah, anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and how do we prevent ourselves from like, you know, having hate exist in the world? Because like there's yin yang yang, right? Like we have to like good only exists because hate exists. So, or love only exists because hate exists, right? And so, and so that, that is, that is true. And so, um, so rather than doing that, it's just, well, what are we not looking at here? And so that's, in general, I really love, I, I think that there's so much focus on good and bad. Um, and what we don't, when we just look at that, then we miss so many stories because even when I was interviewing the South Vietnamese veterans, I interviewed 40 and they also said like, yeah, there is corruption. We did bad things. And I was like, well, it's not like we were all like perfect. It's just like, we just want an opportunity to share how we felt, exactly. what we went through. And so again, it's, it's not one side is flaw, flawed and the other is flawless. It's, it's getting that we all are those things at the same time makes me think that like do you think you kind of gravitated toward that because of how extreme your parents view were with the anti-communists is like because they were like absolutely not it's evil it's rough that you thought kind of want to know what that other side is because they were so stonewall of absolutely not that is that maybe where that kind of fascination of the devil's advocate kind of or like i'm wanting to know maybe the whole story came from yeah i think that i mean and also just seeing that there is um it wasn't i, I my parents really uh, were, I, I think that's a really good question. There is, there is some interest in that. And I, I, I think a lot of it, though, is just like in the ways that people, I couldn't understand why in reading the history books, they spoke so negatively about the South Vietnamese. And my, and my experience with our community was so different. And so that was like the kind of the, the, the thing I was trying to make sense of. And because I like, it was like, I respect these books. These are authors. These are like, this is their, th this, these are the professors who say, who are saying this. So, but why am I hearing something different? Exactly. And then when I lived in Vietnam for that first time, because even like in Vietnam or when I, before I went to Vietnam, I was like, oh, my parents, like, you know, I think that they like, because I went to Berkeley, which is super liberal. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, like, I think that they're probably exaggerating. And then when I got to Vietnam, I'm like, oh there is a lot of, there's a lot of, I understand why it would be really difficult to live under communism. I mean, I didn't go to like this absolute anti-communist, but I, I, I then it's like, oh. I have to talk more about it though, but I then see. also <laughs> see the other side, like, okay, how does mm -hmm. someone get lured into this? Or how does someone even get roped up into this? But then you said you interviewed those people and got to see from their side though, which is, again, I love, it's fascinating because like it's, I, I love, I love to learn. Mm -hmm. And and I, again, I think in, in the same way of just wanting to understand like this big machine of like, okay, it may be not necessarily to prevent it, but just again, just to understand, yeah. to be like, okay, like this is how things go or maybe to better coexist or how to figure out how to balance it out so we don't have, well, now, now it sounds like I'm still trying to prevent the war, but. Well, but the thing yeah. is like the, the I think that the best way to prevent is actually with love and understanding. Right. Cause it's like, if I understand why you have these feelings and like this, the proximity of this, the building, the relationships. Right. I mean, it's, uh, 
totally different example. There's so much talk about income disparity right now. And Seattle Times did this really good article of just about the difference of how like in the now Seattle's richest 20% is now 22 times richer than the lowest 20%. Wow. And the thing that's even more like there are 15% less chance of mixing across class. And I think that that's actually very, that if different classes can't mix, then how do we know each other? And then it's like all kind of theoretical, right? It's like, ah, the rich, the rich Amazonians and like, oh, the, the poor people who we need to help, right? But we actually don't know what do people need exactly. and what do people like on both sides. And I also think like, just because you're rich doesn't mean that you're happy, well, right? I know absolutely. a lot of rich people who are really unhappy. So in any case, I think, I would actually, my work is how do we, how do we help build that, that desire for wanting to learn from others that is, and that's requires relationship building. And so the, you know, I've talked about curiosity as a practice, and I think of it as boiling down to these three elements. The first one is self-awareness. The second is relationship building. And the third is clear communication. And since we're talking about relationship building and go in that second one. So this is Tristan, I want to learn about you. And I'm also going to share about me so that we have this back and forth exactly and but, there's but, reciprocity it's exactly. not just me learning about you and me, me not sharing anything about me we have to have this reciprocity both. and that's why sometimes when i hear people say oh it's not my job to educate you and i'm like i'm not looking for an education yeah. i'm actually looking for engagement i'm looking for a conversation how do we have exactly. a conversation with one another yeah like like i'm not the tool that you're trying to make me as to to get the thing done maybe mm-hmm. we can be together so that we can all move and then figure it out together exactly be a nice slow fluid thing because we don't we don't even know what we don't know exactly until we're like having this conversation or the wars happen or it's gotten too late to the point where man i really wish we started asking questions Mm -hmm. before we got to this point Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a uh, it also just makes you think about like uh, i'm trying to think of like some movie the only thing i can think about is star wars because i talked about it with the last guy but it's just like how someone can have the best intentions and they're like yeah we want to fight for peace by force and then they the next thing they know it's like okay now we're the bad guys because again mm-hmm. we kept saying no 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 this part's evil absolutely not and then next thing though again you become the bad guy because you're not you're closing yourself out from the other side you're closing up the entire other half of that situation mm-hmm. and i don't know i mean do you really i'm kind of scared because i think with the whole like wage gap or at least like the whole um, economic situation where i think it's only getting more and more divided Mm -hmm. to where I think it might blow up potentially. You know, I remember um, that there's uh, a daily newsletter called the Evergrey in Seattle. One of my friends, Monica Guzman was the co-founder of that. I like that name. And yes, because it's not, it's not black and white. It's Evergrey. It's that in between. And so um, after Trump was elected, they organized this visit to the county that, was the most the opposite in ter- uh, terms of King County, which is where Seattle is in terms of vote voting. And so this was, I think it was maybe like 70% voted for Clinton, 70% voted for Trump in this. And it was actually, I'm trying to remember, trying to remember the county because it was actually in Oregon. Okay. It was like North, uh, North Central Oregon. It was a seven hour drive and it was a maybe 1100 people. It's wheat farmers. Right. Okay. And they, and, and so it was a field trip basically of like, Hey, let's go and try to understand one another. And the thing that really fascinated me was they actually had one of the best track and fields west of the Mississippi. 
how is it the school that's got like maybe 100, 150 students have one of the best tracks west of the Mississippi? So and how, what's the secret? It's they volunteers, people from the town came together and they did it together. They built the track together. Right. And so, and so what I realized that I hadn't, I could not understand until I was there was in a place where there is, where people actually know each other that like, you don't let Timmy go hungry because you know, Timmy. Right. And so they help each other out in a way that is actually really difficult in a much more dense place. And so in a much more dense place, then we have to have these policies and it feels so much more anonymous, right? It's like, oh, these are the things that we need to do to feed the hungry. Right. But actually, how many times do I actually go and feed, like have direct contact with people who need food and like are really like on who are who are poor, who are poor yeah. you know? And so it's and that's so it can feel very theoretical in big, dense places and distant versus and so here is this really conservative county that actually they're able to do so much because they support each other because they're in a community because there's proximity of, they actually have genuine relationships and so that taught me so much about the power of community and the power of relationships and how sometimes it's like maybe you don't need the policy to solve the problem maybe we just need each other the people mm -hmm. exactly and and um, I, i'll bring it back to me with the same job though that's why I think I succeed so well. Granted, there are people who are a bit more knowledgeable, a bit more technical, know stuff. But again, when handling the people, the people who are coming together and say, this is my issue, just fumble and drop the ball so hard. I mean, it, because that's the whole point is I, 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 I treat the person like, okay, this is the situation you're in. Here's what's going on. Here's all the issues you have. Granted, I probably didn't need to know all this, but now I know you more and you as a person. I'm going to reach out and tell you, okay, you can trust me, grab my hand, we're going to go through this together. And I used to always say I could count on one hand. I've been working there about almost three years now. I used to say I can count on one hand all the people who stayed mad at me. I think it's now gone like seven or eight. But I take <laughs> thousands of calls a day. I mean, a day, months. But it's just saying that as far as like, because I got in them with them, because I told them, hey, this is a person you're dealing with, a person that wants to help or like I, I had that intent to build that mm -hmm. relationship with them. I get so many people said, oh, Mr. Mr. Pies, our man, you're so sweet. You're, you're lovely. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it feels great. It feels great to help them. And I feel like I did a great job, too. And it makes me. It makes the difficult job I have just that much bearable because I'm like, OK, cool. I made a difference for that person. I, you know, it's. I'm thinking now of the forms of respect in, in a call center, right? Because it's like, if you are thinking about the customer and their needs, then you're going to give them attention. But like from another perspective, it's like, no, we need to give procedure. Procedure. Right. right? And it's just like, right. And, and so here it just could be, well, but no, actually, if our, if the nature of our work is to help these customers with their problems, then we need to figure out a way to give attention. And like, maybe we're going to prioritize attention over procedure and the procedure is still important, but this is like, we need to. And so, you know, and so it's getting that clarity around that. And um, in, in that, maybe you say like, okay, it's not going to be about punctuality because we need to let them, they're going to be angry. They're going to like rant a bit. And we're not going to say like, you only have three minutes, sir. <laughs> right. It's just like, whatever. So, oh God. you know, we, we do, we do do that. And it sucks. It's, it's so like, I guy, I, I 
the way I handle it is um, I, I kind of develop a us for them as far as like, hey, I work for them. I'm not them. I have to tell you their answers. I have to tell you their procedures, but know mm -hmm. that this is still you and me talking. This is still you and me helping us with this. Uh, it's it. We won't get too much into it, but just yeah, dude. It it. I don't want to be that bad. It's as bad. It's awful. It's like I, I still haven't gotten my refund yet. I called them. I got the worst person. <laughs> I was like, bro, I'm on your team, and she was the just the the nastiest. I'm like, what? What? Whoa. I asked her like how her day was, where she calling from. Oh no, she shut that down really quick. I was just <laughs> like, dude, I want to get on with my Friday. You're ruining it. So it's, it's oh god, it was awful. I um, Julie, I actually think this is a good place to like take a little break. I'm sorry, um, oh, I yeah, drink yeah. a lot of water. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, go. I did just well, no, I just want to check with you. Um, how you doing? How you feeling? I'm having a great time so far, and I um, I mean, but you're very knowledgeable, and I actually like the fact that you, kind of. Again, it's it's not so much I need to know why this is right and wrong. I need to know, you know, what the right answer is. I like that, that you have that desire for knowledge. I think just for understanding's sake. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, no, this is fun. Okay, you want to come back in a couple of minutes? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's do you want to do five minutes? Does five yeah, minutes yeah. will come back? I'll pause yeah. it. And again, Julie, thanks for coming on the episode. This has been really, we've been having a lot of like hard conversations or at least like talking about difficult topics but with the mindset of of understanding of like instead of like trying to please everybody meeting them and saying okay this is who i am as a person now let me understand how you as a person and then again with the intent of maybe we can figure something out where it's like okay this is how we can work together without losing our individuality this is all great you became a, your doctorates in history you got your doctorate. When did the, I guess, between the doctorate and the book come out? Or I think you, I, I noticed your company, your website, Curiosity Base. Like, when did those things start forming? I spent most of my 20s getting my PhD. And then as I was finishing it up, I realized, oh, I don't want to stay in academia. And I want to go into business. And I, uh, my family, my brother at the time, who they were, both brothers were working at the newspaper. One brother was really working at the newspaper. It's like, hey, can you come back and help out? And I was like, okay, well, I, I want to go into business. And so after I defended my PhD, I came back to Seattle. I'd been away for um for about 10 years. And okay. I came back. It was 2008. It was the it was the wake of the global recession. Exactly. The decline the of the crash, newspaper yeah. industry, right? And and here I was. And the newspaper when I was last there was 2007 was going was going great. I put three kids through college. And here's everything's crashing around us. And I, um, and here I was working at the newspaper and we were just really trying to figure things out. And I was just, okay, this will be my real life. This will be my real life MBA. And I had to learn a lot about changing my expectations mm. because going in, I mean, going in, I had this very, I would say American mindset of business, which okay. is like, people should pay their bills on time. Right. And like, <laughs> And this is and it's very kind of transactional and and the way that my parents ran the newspaper was uh really hard for me because there were there were like unpaid bills for so like over a year and it's like, oh, but we need to take them out of the newspaper. No, you don't do that. Right. And like we're doing so much work and, and like we're getting so little in return. And um and I was working very, very hard and not smart. I was working very, very long hours. I was mm. exhausted. 
and I, um, you're rubber banding it. Yeah. You know, I was, it was like, oh my gosh. And, and my brother and I decided to, cause we kept talking about like, oh, what would happen if we ran the newspaper? How would we do things differently from our parents? And so we actually decided to buy half the newspaper from our parents. Interesting. Was that like a difficult or easy conversation to even have? I wouldn't say it was a complicated, like, Hey, what's this going to look like? It wasn't like, it wasn't an easy one. It was maybe medium difficulty because my okay. parents also, they, they had debt. And so we basically borrowed money to help pay down some of the debt. Okay. And, um, and there was a Tuesday edition and a Friday edition. So we basically bought the Tuesday edition. And with that, we decided to run a much more aggressive business model. We took out a business loan. I wrote a business, I Googled how to write a business plan. And, um, and we were able to actually, uh, triple the circulation and quadruple the distribution area. And we created lots of, we created lots of really interesting, uh, partnerships. We worked with a, uh, the newspaper that distributed all the Spanish speaking, uh, newspapers to Eastern Washington. And so that we could actually expand that distribution area. And, uh, we, we increased the, the profit margin by focusing on corporate and government ads <laughs> and and like high paying ads versus like the the local mom and pop v- shop Vietnam, yeah and so all of that was just a I mean gosh such a great business education and and at the same time I was also volunteering a lot because I realized that this was a way for me to um, I started getting pulled into board work uh, because growing up bicultural and having some um, there, there are people who are like, hey, can you can you volunteer in our nonprofit? Can you volunteer on this board? And there's such a desperate need for leadership on these right. boards. And I didn't know how to do it, but I was like, okay. And um, and so I think of that as my extracurriculars, my special subjects in the mm-hmm. in that real life MBA. And I gotta tell you, Tristan, I wasn't very curious in the beginning. Because like- I was so outcomes focused. So even I mean, as I, I think as an academic, we're kind of we're curious in a very outcomes way it's like I am writing a book right like this needs to and especially there's there was such a laser focus on me to finish my dissertation and so everything had a purpose and here it was just I don't know what I don't know and this is really all new to me and in academia it's very solitary work and here I had to collaborate and so in the beginning I really struggled with that because I was just like why are we spending so much time talking why is there so much icebreakers? What is, <laughs> why can't we just do it? Like just, let's just do it. And, and I got really frustrated and just watching how my, um, watching how my uh, dad was so strategic in the relationships he built and also seeing other people were having fun and I wasn't having fun. Right. And I was just like, I bet oh. that made you mad too. You're like, I'm yeah, already mad know? because like, we're not getting it done. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, so frustrating. And then it was just, oh, this is an opportunity to actually learn from people and so I started to really change the way like I I learned community building by being in it and and all of these um I mean I think I mentioned I can't remember I mentioned earlier how a lot of this comes from my community building and seeing people having friction in the way that they had their expectations that they wanted to be communicated with and so that was so I did that for three years I ran the newspaper for three years I learned how to sell I learned how to right I, it was so much because selling advertising is something that's both tangible and intangible. And then after, um, but after three years, we were still struggling financially. I mean, we're doing better. And I'm really proud that we paid off the debt. It was six years in early thirties when this stuff was happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which by the way, just a sidebar to acknowledge, just like 
I mean, you gotta be pretty proud of yourself. Like, you just got your doctorate, and you're like, now I own newspaper. Like, did you ever, that kind of ever hit you? Like, man, I'm, I'm I, killing it. Yeah, no, because I was, I was financially really struggling. <laughs> I was like, if anything, it was like, I just got my PhD and I'm like making no money, <laughs> right? And it's really, really hard. And none of my friends were entrepreneurs. They all had these corporate jobs. And so they couldn't really understand what I was going through. And so it was like a, a truly a new, it was, even though my parents were entrepreneurs and so I, I saw them take a lot of risk and I think that helped me take risk. It still was, it was hard to find people. It, it took a while for me to find people who could, I could truly relate to right. in that. And so, um, but after three years, I was like, okay, I'm working with eight people. Half of them have the same last name as me. I need to move to a bigger <laughs> org. And I started networking because I'd done a lot of volunteer work and a lot of people were willing to extend their, make introductions. And I actually ended up networking my way into a big, un, big tech company based here, <laughs> right? Okay. And then, and then from there, I went to another tech company and I basically spent the next nine years in tech. And like the last six was at a nonprofit that represented the tech industry. So even okay. though it was a nonprofit, it was a trade association. And so, so in that, and so in that, it was just, I learned, um, it was, I learned a lot about sector difference. Like I learned a lot about just different kinds of diversity. Like before it was a lot of like racial, ethnic, uh, diversity. And then the, the, I learned about like work functional diversity. And so I feel like I got my second real life MBA or no, my second real life PhD in organizational development when I was at that nonprofit and I was doing a lot around um, cross-sector collaboration. And so that's where, that's where I started to get this idea of, of like, oh, I um, was really fascinated by how people would come together. And so I ended up running at this cohort that lasted six months and I ran it five times over three years. And so my kind of researcher yeah. self went into gear and I was like, oh, what am I learning when here? A student had again, like, yeah, okay. right. What am I learning here? And what I saw after the, by the third cohort, because we saw some people were really thriving and other people were really struggling. And the people who were struggling were super focused on the outcome. I mean, cause we had tasked them all with like, you've got to go create something. And it's really a lot of ambiguity. You have no resources. You have a very short period of time. And the people who were, there were some people who were like, it's supposed to look like this. And they'd get really disappointed when it didn't meet their expectations because, you know, things change. Exactly. And then there are other people who are just, oh my gosh, look at what we're learning. This is so much fun. Look at what we're doing, what we're creating. I didn't know this. I had, like, we created something out of nothing. <laughs> and, and then we were able to identify, oh, it's curiosity. That's what it is. And so we started to try to interview for it. We also tried to, um, because people, I think a lot of people think, I'm curious, I'm curious. And then, but what it came down to, because uh, Tristan, one of the things I learned was, you, you've heard, because uh, we talked about workplace culture earlier, like fire fast, hire slow. Fire fast, hire slow. It's just like basically, I would there would like be meat some. grinder stuff. It's just like get them in, get them. No, in no, quick, as in like then... basically, if you see someone who's not, it's not going to work out. You have to let go of them fast, mm -hmm. because they were basically what we'd see is like some fellows would just be so negative, and in the early on, I would try to save them. I would try to get them to like, oh no, we can do this and this and this to make your experience good. And what I didn't see was how it was negatively impacting other people. Mm. Because what we saw was like, if you had a critical mass of people who were curious on the team, it could uplift the morale. And the inverse was true. 
you had a critical mass of people who were so outcomes focused and they didn't care about anything else, it could take down the morale of a team. Drop the morale of the whole whole team. Whole group. And so then I was like, ooh, I got to like address this. I got to take them out and I got to replace them on the team. Because if not, this morale issue is just going to grow. I will devil's advocate. Does that make it a little difficult though? Because it, you're kind of cutting off the, the, the infection before it spreads, but you also in a sense lose the, I guess maybe the opportunity where maybe it's like, okay, how can we get you to like, feed your respect language, so to speak? Or is it really just, hey man, not in this company, you're not a fan of it, you gotta go, like what? Yeah, so going back to the rubber band rule, it's like, okay, you're you're gonna snap and I'm gonna snap. And we gotta do that before we, we gotta break up before we snap here. And because I actually did it for a few cohorts, I actually really, I like bent over backwards trying to change and make and accommodate and make this experience good for those few people like who are really, who are really fixated on the outcome. And it's kind of like in a workplace, there could be that really toxic person. Yeah. And you're trying to like do all these things to like make that do all the things that the person says they need. But actually what's happening is there's just like some internal struggles. And like the question I would ask them, Tristan, to identify if they should continue or not is I'd ask, do you think that you can learn from people here? Interesting. And once they said no, it was like, all right, well, that's, I mean, the program is about learning from one another. So So if you don't feel that you have anything to learn from other people here, then I'm going to give you a pass. You don't have to, you don't have to participate anymore. Because at that point they were kind of, they were checked out. They're like, I don't really want to participate. And so that question of, of, do you want to learn from other people here? And if they could not answer that in the affirmative, then it was like, no. I'm going to replace you with some. And like what I found is like the people who we replaced them with, oh my gosh, they were so engaged. It would uplift, it would like uplift the morale of the team again. Right. And like, they didn't even remember that person who was once there. And because, you know, that's the thing. It's like, I can't make someone want to learn. I can't make someone want to learn. There is some, and this is like the, there has to be reciprocity in learning as well, right? Because like a lot of times, like I want you to learn from me. Am I willing to learn from you? And I have to be honest with that question because sometimes people can perform curiosity. Oh, I want to learn about everything. I'm so curious. But in fact, like, no, I want to pile on knowledge, but I actually am not willing to change my mind and be open to like the fact that something I fundamentally believe might get changed, which right. is hard. Difficult. Mm-hmm. It's also like, and so I guess that's the answer to the question, is that you should still, it's communication. I think that's just where it starts with. You have Mm -hmm. to have just that talk of, okay, let's discuss where we are. And like you said, more importantly, can we do this thing to move forward? Right back to the date. No, I can't. Well, it was nice talking to you, knowing you. Have fun going somewhere else. We're going to get someone who might maybe mesh a bit more with the team instead of trying to accommodate not making it happen and then there's again what is it sour sour egg ruins the bunch kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah and i i really because i had tried for for a few different cohorts to do that and then i realized like no this is not going to work out and it's actually harming other people's experience mm-hmm. and so that's where um and so um in that i like i realized like oh this thing that i'm learning this is not just for this could be, if I can do this with people who are volunteers, imagine what we can do with people who are paid to work together. 
Shoo. Right. <laughs> right. And so that's when I was like, Ooh, I think I want to do this. Um, I want to do this as a business. And so that's, um, and I also wanted to, I want to write, I want to put my name on it. And so I, um, that's, I, that's, that was the, the thought for curiosity base. And I had a really, I left the best job I ever had because it truly was the best job I ever had. I was there for six years. And the only reason I'd leave the best job I ever had was so I could start my own company. Which And I'm, that was in January, 2021. The the bravery and during COVID of all times. Dude, that's... Yeah. And I, yeah, I, you know, it was like, it was quite, it's like, am I going to leave my really cushy nonprofit executive job in the middle of COVID to do this? And, um, and I just felt, no, I need to do this. And I, I was a little worried telling my, about telling my father and because again, job stability, especially in immigrant refugee households is really important. Well, he'll wring your neck, man. Like right. what you did, what yeah. you're following and, your dreams. Like, yeah. Just... Well, and actually, you know what he said was, he said, I'm so happy for you. That, okay. Wow. Because now you, you will have freedom and you never have to worry about losing your job again. Cause I'd gotten uh, downsized in the two previous tech companies I'd worked mm. at. And he was like, you never have to worry about losing your job again. You have freedom. And I was so like wow and then I and then I realized like well that's what my parents did they left you know they they came here for freedom they my my dad had studied to be an engineer and he left his job so that he could start this newspaper and um and so yeah I I realized like oh of course they would understand so I um and forgive me just to give you a heads up Mm -hmm. like I am I'm going on the website because I'm looking through because I actually want to understand more about what curiosity base is Mm -hmm but I'm doing the thing you hate. I'm multitasking. <laughs> I am listening. I swear I am, but like I'm, I'm here. So what exactly does your company curiosity base do? So we help people practice curiosity in the world, starting in the workplace. Cause that's where we spend most of our waking hours. So, you know, the time we, our, our experience at work has a major impact on our quality of life everywhere else. Um, and so we work with uh, we work with teams who are who are saying like, hey, you know, we are we want to make our culture better. Um, maybe they've just come back from the pandemic and like and it's hybrid or they're kind of struggling with the communication again um, to build their capacity mm. to uh, to to practice curiosity because because that leads to better collaboration, better connection, better performance, better workflow, better product workflow, innovation, resourcefulness. Um, people being able to do it on their own too, mm-hmm. right? Not just um, being told what to do. And so, uh, and so we companies bring uh, bring us in to help them build that capacity, to help them. Uh, we we I think of them as like boot camps, these learning boot camps, where we take them through some exercises to help them identify their own individual blind spots and then to learn from one another. Because everyone, you take a group of people and they're going to all have different experiences. Or we've exactly. talked about this. And then it's just like, okay, well, what are we learning? What am I learning? And let me share with what I'm learning. And then, oh, you're learning that. And then even that, like, oh, we see things differently. And then it kind of just like kick, it kind of jumpstarts that so that they can start to continue to practice it on their own. We, what I don't, uh, we'll really think of them as these boot camps. Right? I'm not going to be your personal trainer this whole time. You're not going to be being I, like, you will listen and yeah. understand your employees. No, you're not you doing that. No, it's, no, no. This is like, hey, let me, you know, go do this. And how does that feel? And you're watching, you know, if you think about an exercise class, everyone's moving a little different, right? 
And so what are we learning? Oh, I like the way they did that. Like, well, let me do this. And so part of the learning is like from each other. And um, you're just opening the line of communication. You're yeah. just like, hey, like, let's start this dialogue so we can actually overcome yeah. this obstacle. It's Because uh, people actually need a third party. I mean, hey. Right. Like, if couples, you do it yourself. Right? Couples therapists exist for a reason because yeah. it's like they can't like, ah, oh, you. And, and also the leader needs to be able to get to do it, too. Right. Because often it's like, well, I want to participate, too. I mean, I know this for when I um, when when I get to participate in learning, I'm like, yay, I get to be the student. I don't have to be the teacher. Exactly. And on my team, like I have someone when we do our weekly core meetings, it's like someone on the team facilitates the meeting. I don't facilitate the meeting. Mm. That way you can kind of like, again, just kind of take it all in. So that way mm -hmm. if someone does say something, you're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Or okay, mm -hmm. now, now you're learning. Mm -hmm. I also think it's important slash great that it's like it shows a sign of the boss as far as like they're not just giving a pizza party. They're not just mm -hmm. like, hey, this is what I think you guys need. It's like, okay, I'm now willing to like start that dialogue to where we're like, how can I better help you guys understand you more, but also maybe get to a point where you can understand me more. It's, it's I think uh, answers the previous question. That's how companies can keep employees mm -hmm. is making that just the effort of like, instead of saying it's, this is what I think you need to do better is let's find out together what we mm -hmm. need to do better. So. Yeah. Oftentimes I get asked, Hey, Julie, how, what should we do? How should we approach this? And it's like, well, what do you think? Okay. You know, this is what I know. What do you think? And then they give me their ideas and we kind of riff back and forth. And it's, it's always something better than we could have come up with on our own. Collaboration. The, mm -hmm. the beautiful thing it is. I, so, I mean, that's, and that's amazing. And I just, I, I, I can only imagine like the various companies and the people that help. I mean, it's, um, you have any noteworthy names you want to name drop or can you, or. Can yeah. You yeah. No, I mean, we work with the Port of Seattle. Um, we work, uh, with King County. Um, we work with the city of Seattle. So, you know, I was telling you, we work with a lot of government. Yeah. <laughs> we do that. Right. Um, King, King we, County. Is that King County in Washington or King County in yeah, Oregon? The government. King County in Washington. Okay. King County in Washington. And um with uh, Comcast, with BECU. Um I don't I don't it's a it's a credit union, Boeing credit union. So yeah, these those are some of our bigger name clients. What would you say is like do you have at least a top three or at least like um companies or like like turnarounds where you're like, oh my god, like we made such a big impact by doing yeah. this or like oh and actually one of our biggest clients our biggest client is actually seattle housing authority so that's also government too that's public housing yeah so even so talking about the jump starting we worked with a seattle municipal court and their exec team and we took them through we gave them a structure on how to give feedback to one another and because you know giving feedback can be really hard right and then we actually had them practice it and do it and deliver it and then afterwards, uh, afterwards, we were told like, yeah, now they can, people can actually give feedback much more easily. And because the thing is, we're, we don't, our style isn't just to lecture and like, hey, this is how you do it. It's like, no, actually, now we got to go practice it and let's, like, let's role play it. Let's do it. And then you're actually going to give feedback, which feels super scary. Exactly. And uh, when I um, talked to the leader later on, it's like, oh yeah, now we're, because also part of the feedback is you can ask permission, like, hey, is it okay for me to give you feedback right now? I like that. Or should it be later? Consent right? And so, great. and so people, and so even just like the, so we can actually get pretty quick results about these, about very certain behaviors or practices 
And so it's, it's not, it's like, it's, I'm not going to say we improve your culture or like I, uh, we've increased retention. Like I can't take credit for that. But what I can take credit for is like, we gave you a structure on how to give feedback and now people are giving feedback much more easily. Kind of like a hell's kitchen or like a restaurant hell or something. It's like, Hey, like I can give you the tools to do, ha- be a better restaurant to, to, to help employee engagement. It's up to you if you want to follow it or use it and find success from it, though. It's- yeah, because they have it is a practice and they have to make time for that practice. And so it's, I often suggest, hey, just spend 10 minutes of your meeting going through even doing an update of like, how was this? Like, what are we doing? And this is actually something my team started doing of now we have this theme every month where um, we will answer this question of uh, to keep us accountable because it's about practicing and keeping accountable. So June was say no month so what are the things that we are saying no to okay right and so every week after we would do our highs and lows as that's the that's also something we do to start a meeting um then we'd say okay this is something i said no to for for example for me it's like i said no to organizing a social event that someone asked me to do like no (laughs) or like i said no to drinking beer because i don't like beer i said no to pet sitting and so this month, it's uh, what are you doing to get outside your comfort zone? Mm. So I I asked for this. And so in any case, it's this really quick way of just keeping each other accountable by sharing like, hey, this is my progress. Accountable. And again, it's that constant growth of just like, mm-hmm. hey, maybe someone's answer is going to be like, I never thought of that. I didn't even consider that was an option. And then you grow in a, in a sense. Well, that's a great segue into a question I was going to ask, though. I mean, Especially because you are CEO, you're technically the big boss, Jeff Bezos, of your company. <laughs> Has there ever been a situation or employee who kind of made you take that step back and be like, oh, like where you learned from them? Or you're like, I... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Love, love to hear an example. Yeah, where... absolutely. So I remember um, I gave someone feedback in a meeting live. And then later on, they said, hey, can I give you some feedback? And it's like, can I practice curiosity with you? Can I give you some feedback here? Okay. And um, and the thing that I had said was, hey, I think that you, you're you interrupting this person. Let this person finish. Okay. And then later on, they pointed out, I think that that person was capable of saying that she was being interrupted herself. You didn't need to point that out. Yeah. You were like saving her, right? right? And so, and I was like, okay, let me think about that. And this is the thing about getting feedback. We don't have to respond right away. I actually advise people to thank the person and then go think about it, right? Because when I got it, I didn't like it. I didn't like that feedback. Bad medicine. (laughs) Right. And so it's just like, okay, thank you. I'm going to think about that. And so I went back and I thought about it. I talked about it with other people and I realized like, oh yeah, that person is totally capable of defending herself. And was she actually bothered or not? And, and so, cause I think that this is, um, this can happen often. We try to save other people when, instead of empowering them to, to stand up for themselves. And we are maybe even assuming that they're bothered when they're not. Exactly. You're taking their power away. It's, it's, I'm, I'm getting offended on your behalf. It's like, well, no, 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 no. Like not only did you stop the conversation from, or the dialogue from happening, but now you're, like you said, you're silencing my voice though. So you're basically doing the exact same thing you were trying to prevent from happening. You became the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. And you know, something also that I'm constantly working on is slowing down because <laughs> I have so many, even in the way that I present the materials, I mean, I speak fast. I have lots of ideas. I want to kind of all pack it in. And I've gotten feedback from my team and also from clients of like, 
you got to slow down. And so that's something I'm constantly working on because sometimes slowing down is allows for people to feel heard. I had this actually with a client just a couple of months ago where in the, our first session, it was a bit difficult. Uh, one of the participants and um, like what happened, like how are they difficult? I was just kind of like, I don't see how I think seven forms of respect upholds the status quo. And, and, and I was really trying not to be defensive Right. But I was also kind of my baby. Yeah. But I was also kind of speeding through things like, okay, I hear you. And we got this agenda. (laughs) Right. And so, and then I got this feedback of like, Hey, there's a lot you're covering. And I think it'd be really good to slow things down. And so I actually adjusted it where we spent the first 25 minutes just answering questions. Right. And then like, Hey, what are those unresolved questions? And like, and really, really making time for that. And the person actually, that same person was like, I feel seen. I feel heard. Do you, um, and a lot of people are guilty of it. I was guilty of it until I was conscious of it. Like when people start to tell you either an issue or a response and you're either thinking of your response or I'll tell you something and you're like, okay, I already know what you're talking about. Like I already already know everything. And then you just dive in. I do that. I think probably more one-on-one than I do in groups. And the reason why is because in groups, I've got a model listening, right? (laughs) I mean, one-on-one, you're just like, no one can see me. (sighs) And so in groups, and especially like in facilitation, I'm really actually very actively trying to listen and play back their words. And in one-on-one, I think I'm much more guilty of that because it's like, because I, I don't feel like I'm, especially like when I'm leading a session, it's how I behave actually models the behavior. Mm. Whereas like in one-on-one, I can kind of get away with like, with, well, no one else is watching me except for this person. And we're just like engaged in this conversation. Well. Yeah, we both need some personal growth though. So, so yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, I just had also, I'm, I, curiosity, the practice of curiosity is hard. And there are many times where I just like, I can't practice it. It's hard for me. And I had that with a client where they asked for something and I was just like, oh, I can't believe this game. And it was really, and I was even just wrote back and like, well, this request. And, and then I took some time and I, talk to a friend who also has a business and was just like, this is happening. What do you suggest? And uh, she said, why don't you just ask them what they need? Oh, of course. So simple is right in front of me. I could just ask a question. It's it's something I would normally advise other people. And yet I couldn't do it because I was admired in my own feelings. And so my point here is that we all, we all get mired in our own feelings. That's natural. It's not like the point isn't to don't have feelings or it's okay. It's more of like to what's the, um, what is my practice to then, okay, now I go talk to someone about this. And that's what I usually do to kind of sort through difficult things. And then, and then she was just asked, and then I went and asked and Tristan, it was a totally reasonable request. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just, it just needed the time to process yeah. what you want to ask yourself and ask a coworker. Yeah, you know, it's, like that one, my colleague gave me feedback and I was just like, thank you. And then I had to go think about it. I have to think about it. That's what I said. I had to think about it. And I did because sometimes, oftentimes our first reaction is not the best reaction and it could actually harm oh, the whole communication yeah. oh, relationship. Yeah. It's, um, I think it, I've even heard that as an old adage as far as like, you know, again, it's the first thought you have, you often should ignore because again, it's very um, reactionary. It's like, again, mm-hmm. you get cut off and you're like, ah, screw, you know, it just, it's just like, okay, I chilled, that guy, maybe he's busy, who knows, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and I, at the same time, I think it's also 
we don't have to totally excuse people, but we do need to try to understand like whatever can we make to, because otherwise our narrative is whatever we think happened. We're going to, we're telling ourselves these stories. We're going to, we're going to fill the gap. We're mm-hmm. going to basically, and we're going to, again, we can take it so far. We can demonize it. We can make them mm-hmm. saviors. It just, it, it just can mm-hmm. go so far to the point where we don't have to know who they are because we already made a profile or made our minds up about it. And then now we're the rotten egg that's ruining the business or the company. Yeah. I mean, I like to tell people because often it's like, oh, good intentions, good intentions. And I like to tell people, you can have two different people who did the same thing and one person has good intentions and the other person has bad intentions. And the only difference is I like one person and I don't like the other person, right? Like the person with good intentions, I like I like that person. The person with bad intentions, I don't like that person. I like their values. Their right? values represent my right? values. They didn't mean it. They didn't mean it, right? The good intentions, like they didn't mean it because I like them. Bad intentions, ugh, of course they would do that. that and so, <laughs> but what we don't do is we don't actually slow down and go, what were their intentions? Because even when we say it's good intentions, we don't say we don't ask like, oh, let me try to understand what you did. It's just, we just kind of spin. And I, I mean, I, I do this, the thing that helps me disrupt the pattern of making up the story is like, okay, what question can I ask now mm-hmm. to, to have this conversation? And so, cause we have this structure, this conversation structure called CAFA. It stands for conversation, uh, context, action, feeling, ask. And so context is what's the situation ask is or action is what did they do feelings how I feel about it and ask is what's the question I can ask to start this conversation and sometimes the question is hey are you open to talking about this it's sometimes it's just permission and the best thing is that you're asking for instead of saying we're doing this and yeah and I got it and so because sometimes if it's just like I felt bad I felt unheard I felt disrespected all they can do is react to that and usually it's like I didn't mean it <laughs> right which is just it completely invalidates your feelings. Like I, I wasn't my, I didn't mean that. So sorry that you, you know. Sorry you suck. felt that way. Yeah. I'm sorry that you felt that way. You know, and it's um, and so, but if my if my goal is to have a conversation, my goal is not to change their mind. My goal is to understand. Right. Because, and then I have to be going back to those two questions. Am I willing to learn from, uh, uh, is this person, do I want this person to learn from me? And am I willing to learn from this person? And if I can't answer that question authentically, then I shouldn't go into that conversation. If I'm not ready, if I'm not ready to be changed, then I should not go into that conversation because I'm not ready to practice curiosity. And that's okay. That's a big, and that's a big thing to do. Cause again, it's like, it's, it's being real with yourself, but mm-hmm. also it's like, Again, we're so, it goes back to the values thing. I'm so ready for, to make people change, to follow my ideals, but it, it's a hypocrisy if they're like, hey, but I can't do the same or at least be open enough to even be open to the questions, open to the mm-hmm. answers. It, mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing to kind of meditate on. I think mm-hmm. for everybody that's listening to the episode, because we're doing a podcast, <laughs> mm-hmm. is I think life should be savored, more importantly, even with people. I think we shouldn't focus on the immediate reaction upon whatever does happen, but I think there does need to come a point where it's like, okay, how do I feel about this? That mm-hmm. that needs that self-reflection of like, okay, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. But I think there needs to be that asking or that kind of, I want to understand. Because I mean, I feel like if you can do that, then again, you just diffuse the situation. You turn something that was going to be animosity and anger, and now you're 
You're thriving. It's peaceful, beautiful ecosystem. And so. you know what? I also is oftentimes when you ask the question, they will confess. They'll be like, I did this and this and this and this. And you realize like, oh, you were thinking about it. It's <laughs> you like, were seeing it. Exactly. But if I were just to say, hey, you did this versus like, hey, can you tell me, are you open to talking about it? And then it's like, oh, they because like sometimes it's like, oh, it's not a big deal. I won't bring it up. Right. Like if sometimes we know we messed up, but like, is it even more awkward to like bring it up into this super awkward? Is it going to be like really apologize? You know, it, it can be it can we can make we're just am I going to make the situation worse? And then so when someone's like, hey, I'd like to talk about this. Are you open to talking about it? And it's like, oh, my gosh, I've been thinking about it, too. Thank God. You say it's um comedy does the same role. Like like mm -hmm. when you bomb or when something doesn't land. You acknowledge, you acknowledge it. Don't, don't, don't just be like, okay, we're going to leave it alone. You want to acknowledge it because then that becomes funny. It's like, okay, no one's laughing. Gonna not do that for next time. It's it. Sometimes again, just acknowledging it, it kills the power and the, 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 just the, where it could go because it's like, okay, now we're just acknowledging for what it is and now we can move forward from it. So, all right. I think th there you go, people. If you want something to, is chew on it. Mm -hmm. Life should be savored, including interactions and people. Mm -hmm. a good way to go about well dr julie i gotta say this has been very educational as far as like an episode goes i mean as far as if somebody wanted to know more about the seven forms of respect or wanted to maybe get a hold of you or be interested in your service i mean how could they reach you yes so to learn more about the seven forms of respect you can go to formsofrespect.com and we have a free quiz. We have a free digital course that people can take. We even have a free mini book. So we have lots of freebies actually on the site. Lots of um, lots of ways to find out more about that. You could also get the book and we have lots of worksheets in the back. Um, to learn more about Curiosity Based, just go to Curiosity Based. So that's past tense, curiositybased.com. And uh, you can see, learn more about my about our services. We have lots of resources lots of free resources on it. We also do a lot of videos on YouTube at Curiosity Base, and you can find me on LinkedIn too. Um, and that's actually, I'm, I, that's the, that's the social media where I am the most is, is LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. All you business cats out there. Yes. And so email, yeah. So email me, uh, you can, you can email me through the website and you can message me on LinkedIn too. There you go here, people. And don't worry. Uh, in the description, we will be posting those medias, those websites. So again, if you're interested, post it right there for you guys. But uh, I, I do think, uh, yeah, Doc, I, uh, I don't know if you can hear, but the, the, the school bell or whatever you want to, mm -hmm. analogy you want to use, it's ringing, coming mm -hmm. to a close. Now I got to figure out how we're going to end this thing. I mean, I was thinking what we can do maybe with the seven forms of respect as far as like, maybe find out what mine is versus what yours is. I don't know. I, like, how, how, how can we potentially end this episode? Do you have any recommendation as far as like what maybe I could do with the seven forms of respect as far as like with podcasting or like how I can maybe use your system to maybe help benefit my show more? Hmm. I mean, it would be so first, I think, think about it in your own personal life too. And just even like with you and your wife, just like, hey, what are your forms? What are my, what do we think each other's are? And then, then go to the, I think it helps with the personal and then to the work. And then it would be interesting to see, like, if, you know, if you asked any of your guests, like, hey, what do you, I've learned about this structure. What do you, what do you think about it? Do you like um, it? Do you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, no, I like that. It's mm -hmm. reflect what I want, 
but also talk to my audience and see what they want and mm-hmm. see if you can find a happy medium. Yeah. yeah. And like, and tell stories, right? People remember stories. They don't remember your what they remember your why. Exactly. It's uh, mm-hmm. someone said like, it's like it, uh, lessons or stories, stories or lessons. All right. Someone said something profound last episode, and I just I butchered it. I can't get it. Well, that's a great way to end it. That I don't know the quote, but <laughs> thank you so much, Tristan. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was a pleasure, guys. And again, um, thank you so much for listening to another ordinary person, an extraordinary story. I've been Tristan. This is Dr. Julie Pham, and thank you again for your time. Good night, everybody, and um, chew on life, chew on respect. Have a good night. Thank you yet again for listening to another episode of Ordinary People, Extraordinary Stories. If you happen to know someone or believe you yourself have an extraordinary story to tell, shoot me an email at opespodcast at gmail.com. That's opes, just like the podcast, O-P-E-S, podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to have you on. Thank you so much again, and stay safe out there.